Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Sitting In. It's nice to have you here with us today. Today we're going to be going over a question that was sent in via Instagram and I just want to remind you if you're listening that if you want to send in a topic for us to discuss we uh, are very keen to hear from you. So send us a message on Instagram. And yeah, just before we get started, how is everybody doing? Yeah, me as well. I'm like, uh, I'm ready for this one. It's going to be an interesting one. It was, uh, took a lot of thought during the week, but I'm sure we're, go- we're going to have some really interesting chats today. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, a little bit tired, long day. But um, apart from that, I'm still, I'm still keen for this topic. It's going to be a fun one. Nice one. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Uh, I have a, had a mad tech week this week. Everything's just breaking on me. My mic broke and my Line 6 Helix broke. So Line 6, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, hit me up. <laughs> all right, nice one. So this question came in from Old Took on Instagram. And I want you to use the question and I think Callum's going to get into the topic. So the question specifically is, what's the worst train wreck you've ever experienced in your musical career? Ooh. All right, over to you, Cal. Nice one. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna enjoy um, telling these stories and also listening to your stories. I think as well. But um, yeah, my first one um, goes back to college in HND two year two, um, and this was this was yeah performance exams at the end of the year. Um, so I had I think set list wise, I was aiming for. It was it was really ambitious. Um, I've spoke about this in previous podcasts, but just being ambitious, this is you'll you'll hear why. Um, but I had Rude Mood, Steve Ray Vaughan, that was one of them. Um, I had two acoustic tracks. The other one uh, was Bossa Dorado, the Rosenberg Trio. Um, I had Joe Satriani, Flying in a Blue Dream, and I had Cliffs of Dover, Eric Johnson as well. Um, I played the two acoustic ones first, and then I went on to the Joe Satriani one. Uh, and for those of you who don't know Flying in a Blue Dream, um, the kind of techniques that are in that are like controlling feedback and sustain from your amp and stuff like that, which is really cool. Um, and lots of legato playing um, as well. And one of the things that ended up happening when I played that song, it's about five and a half minutes. So I got to about just before four minutes. Um, and before just about the four minute mark, there is something called a dive bomb in it. Um, and a dive bomb, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, um, is the sound created by like the, a kind of Floyd Rose system um, on a guitar that can um, use the whammy bar, go down and pitch and go up and pitch. Um, and sometimes Callum, can you just give us an oral demonstration what a dive bomb sounds like? An oral demonstration? Yeah. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um so it comes up to that bit and I go for it and I go all the way up and it hits a peak and then I hear this ping and the video is still on YouTube. I can still find this. Um, but I, I honestly swear to you, the sound that came out of the guitar sounded like some sort of sound sound effect from Star Trek or something like that. It was, it was mad. Um, so I'd, I'd heard the sound and I thought to myself, like what was that i've got no idea what's going on so past that point in the song it's essentially just controlling that feedback and sustain but my version of it was to go into more kind of legato runs and play play more um so i had about 30 seconds before i had to come back in um with a nice nice big 
nice big power cord. Um, so I was thinking, I was like, what's, what's going on? I think something's changed. Like the, the notes have changed. So I go to play this chord and I ring it and it's the most horrible sounding out of tune, atonal thing that you've ever heard. Um, so <laughs> from there for the last like minute, I basically, or just before that minute, I'd realized all the strings bar one had basically went flat on the fretboard because the the tremolo system broke. So when I pinged that all the way up, it just, it went flat. Um, so the only string that I had available to me for that last minute was the B string. And it, was, it wasn't even a B. It was just the only one that was in tune and the only one that I could use. So from that point on, I had to improvise the rest of the song on one string. Um, and still managed to like eventually find out all the notes it's like one of those things where you find the one note that you know and your ear just goes right i know exactly where i am in a scale and i can use that whole scale throughout that one string um so i managed to do that and one of the things that um i said to the teacher or the lecturer afterwards was like oh can you can you take that into consideration like that was you know my whammy bar snapped anyway i had no idea what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> I don't I, I don't believe him when he said that. I think he was I think he was being really nice at the time because it was so obvious. Um and the sound effect that just came out of the guitar or the amp was ridiculous. Um I'll let you I'll let you both hear it at some point because um it's quite quite a sight. Is there a video of that on Instagram uh, YouTube? YouTube, yeah. It should be on an old um old YouTube channel of mine that I haven't used in a while. You know if you send me I can put a copy in it like right yeah. now and people yeah, can hear the it. moment it broke. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great let's do that nice nice um but that's so that's that story and then i went on to um cliffs of dover uh and and managed to get through that one to finish it off but that's um that's that's story number one i've got a second story but i'm thinking maybe pass the baton on am i right in saying you played cliffs of dover on the b string is that what you had available <laughs> no <laughs> no I had another guitar so that was um i had an ibanez s series for that one and that's what it snapped and then i used this one for cliffs it over ah uh, nice uh, fender black top cool oh, i'll 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 take the the baton or the broken microphone uh, my turn <laughs> so um jack were you gonna add something there sorry i was just wondering callum before you before you jump on reese what did you feel like you learned from that experience? Um, it was just total, total intuition and, and using, using my ear um, to just figure out where I was because I wasn't just going to stop. I think that's the, that's the real takeaway is that I'm just not going to stop. I had the backing track on. It was still going, um, you know, throughout the whole set. I had like a band for one song, a backing track for another, um, someone accompanying me on rhythm for the Boss of Dorado one. Um, but for that one, it was just like, I sure had to keep on going somehow. No guitar tech. <laughs> what are you going to do? So yeah, it's just make what, make what you've, make do with what you've got. And all, all I had was a B string that was out of tune. Legend. Absolute legend. I, I can't wait to see that video. Um, yeah, great question, uh, old Took on Instagram. Thanks for sending that in. It's when I think about like train wreck experiences, um, I think of one experience in particular, and it was a whole weekend. <laughs> and essentially, I'll set the scene, all right, just give a little bit of story. So I'd started playing in this trio, and it was kind of weird because it was a jazz singer, me, and 
a drummer. In fact, no, no, rewind. It was a duo. It was me and a jazz singer. We were just playing duo. And we rocked up to this gig once. It was like our, I think it was our first gig. And we had this like three sets of 45 minutes down. It's quite a lot of music. And we basically get like halfway through the first set. And I'm sure, like, I know so many people have experienced this. Um, I've had so many conversations with people who have experienced the exact same thing where the band, uh, the bar manager or club manager comes up and they're like, can you play something more upbeat? I'm like, you hired a jazz duo. What do you expect? And we're just kind of like, uh, we'll play some faster swing tunes then. And we had a set list. It wasn't like we, I don't know, you can't just pull tunes out of the sky if you've not really played together for that long. And yeah, so we started just playing everything a little bit faster and kind of making it more upbeat, so to speak. It doesn't work when you're playing a ballad or something, but, you know, we just kind of rocked with it. And, you know, we get to the second set and it's the same kind of thing. He's like, can you play something more upbeat? And by the end of that gig, I'm pretty much just beating the heck out of my guitar, playing these jazz tunes, but like trying to play them like super funky to make them a bit more dancey. It was awful, but that wasn't the worst of it. That was just sort of a rubbish gig. I'm sure we've all had a sort of similar experience. The worst part was that I had to do all again the next day at the same club. And I knew I was going to go into it and feel awkward and all that kind of stuff. And so I got home from the gig. Bear in mind, this was a 12 p.m. to 3 a.m. gig. So I got home at 4 a.m., obviously just shattered and a bit sort of annoyed about the situation, as, as you would be. And, you know, trying to sleep. And I managed, but... For the first time in my life, I experienced sleep paralysis that night. Uh, a gig-induced uh, bout of sleep paralysis. <laughs> and in that sleep paralysis, uh, you know, I'm like, so I'm in the bar again, but it's like all all one room. And <laughs> I, I think I'm just sort of like having to accept my fate of uh, having to play that gig again. But in the dream, the sleep paralysis, I had to... Uh, Sorry if this is a bit too dark and deep, but like I had to accept that I was going to die or something like that. <laughs> and so I accepted that. And then I was like, all right, I'm, I'm ready for the gig now. <laughs> and so in the morning when I woke up after just an awful sleep and like, I mean, if anybody's like, I know Callum, you've experienced a lot of sleep paralysis, but it's awful. It's terrifying and exhausting and I don't wish it upon anybody. But anyway, it was about 12 or something by the time I kind of came around and felt okay I was like I need to do something about this gig because it's going to be awful again because it was rubbish like I hated it um the pay was rubbish it's super late and they don't like our music so I was like give me a minute let me think about what I can do I was like all right I could just not be paid for this gig and hire a drummer I'd rather do that and just enjoy the gig and so I'm on the phone to all my drummer friends and like one of them can't do it someone else can't do it and then someone might be able to do it I'm like, oh, I have no idea what's happening. Then at about four o'clock in the afternoon, I get a call from a drummer and he's like, oh, I can play the gig. I'm like, all right, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, but I've got another gig at uh, nine till 12 and we're starting at 12. I'm like, all right, just let's do that. Just show up whenever you can and we'll play the gig. And so we got a drummer in on this gig who'd never played any of the music with us before. Um, and we never really knew what we were going to play because, well, we were a jazz duo with a singer. It's like we usually didn't play with a drummer. And anyway, the drummer came up and long story short, we had so much fun. Uh, Yeah, I guess going straight into the learning experience is that, well, drummers make everything better. (laughs) And also, uh, you know, 
sometimes just getting a drummer on a gig, if it's a duo, makes a big difference. I'm, I guess that's not really like the learning experience, so to speak. The experience would be like knowing how to, I don't know, read a bar, but also stand for what you believe in <laughs> in terms of the music you're playing for, uh, playing. But yeah, I guess that's my story. And it was, I don't know how awful it sounds to you listening, but to me, it was honestly, it was awful. I hated it. Uh, I don't want to play that venue again because every time I see it, I just remember my dreams and uh, it was pretty awful actually. But yeah, I guess the learning experience would be sort of to, oh, I don't know. I feel like I summarized it. Yeah. Any questions about that terrible story? (laughs) Not any that like spring to mind immediately, (laughs) but let me take over then. So this is an interesting one. When um, we talked about this topic for this week, trying to really rack my brain, and I thought, there are not many experiences that I've had where things have gone completely haywire and they are um, irretrievable, if you like. So there have been no performances that have been, you know, so bad that the earth cracks or that sort of thing, which in some ways is a, is a good response to have about things. Um, so when I was digging through some memories about, you know, train wrecks, as it were, um, I thought to myself, there's a couple things uh, that perhaps fit into this box, at least for me. But there's absolutely a learning experience in, in both of them as well. One of them is really, I suppose, uh, going out to play at a jazz venue maybe oh, this is a number of years ago now. And I'd been shedding this song. I can't remember what it was. It was a ballad of some sort. And so I get up to play with my guitar and people are kind of like clapping me on and thinking, like, who is this guy? And I'm like just brave enough to get onto the bandstand and, and just start playing. So I get up onto the bandstand and there's a singer there as well. And if you're, a, if you're an improvising musician, if you're in the jazz realm as well, you'll know that, for one, working with singers is really hard because they like to change the key for things. And you have to be really adaptable that way as well, whether just with key signatures or with, you know, accommodating really them. They hold the melody for that, for that time. So I get up there and they say, oh, you, you're a new face here. What do you want to play? I said, well, I'm, I've been shedding this tune called, uh, oh, it was, it, was a, it was a Gershwin tune called I Love You Porgy, which is a really nice tune as well. And I thought, okay, well, I have no idea if the band knows this or not, but okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go into it. So everybody goes, yeah, yeah, we know that one. I go, great, okay. So the singer goes, great, yeah, so do you want to sing it in D flat? Uh, so we're going to go one, two. And I thought, hang on a minute, I only know this in G. I've just, been, I've just been working in this tune in G. And at the time, I hadn't had any instruction really about 12 key in tunes or like how to really know a tune or what to do when a singer comes about. So as soon as this tune started, and it's quite a long tune as well, with lots of chords as a ballad usually is, I was completely stuck, just had no idea what to do from from the off. So I played, I think, the one chord, D flat, and then got completely lost. And it was a really sort of eye-opening experience of just being on stage for probably like a good five or six minutes and relying only on my ears and really really and honestly feeling like everybody else around me knew that um knew that I just I didn't know this tune well enough. And it was it sucked because I realized that about 30 seconds in and then I had about five and a half minutes still to fill of trying to convince people that I knew what I was doing. And so I got off stage, I got off stage, you know, with my tail between my legs thinking, man, I can never come here again. I've got to change my name. Um, I wonder if I can get a new passport this year. You know, all these, all these um, catastrophes and, you know, ways of catastrophizing a situation, I should say. Um, but yeah, you know, th- th- that was one thing. And I think the learning, the learning example in that was quite clear, really, which was, you know, know the tune better, 
have a have a few different um, ways of being able to play the tune, say in different keys or in different time signatures, you can feel more confident about a tune as well. And that was really just me being quite naive about things as well, which is fine. And I also do sort of believe that that has helped me tailor my approach to learning as well and in and also how I how, how I teach as well but yeah very much a, a funny situation which at the time felt like a train wreck but really in the in the aftermath looking back on it, it was a mere scratch but and I'm sure as well you guys have had those kind of experiences as well whether it's being out of key or whatever but this next one frustrates me because uh, this is something that still lives on my iTunes so I'm sure for any musicians that were part of this session in my first couple of years of uni, we had access to our university studios. And this unfortunately really is a train wreck for me because <laughs> I can't listen to this without, without hearing it. And we'd gone in, we'd rehearsed basically for the, for the past sort of month playing all these tunes and really we wanted to get the feel for recording. We wanted to put out some demos and, and start sort of gigging around, around London. And so we got things together. We learned these tunes really well. And then it came to playing in the studio. And studios are really hectic. Like it's the kind of place where you can't, you can't really take care of everybody that's there. You just have to turn up, know your job, just get in there and, and you know, um, be able to handle yourself and, and, and your role as well. And as someone who's like fresh faced, maybe I think I'm like 18 or 19 at the time, going to the studio with a bunch of people who really know what they're doing, get there, take my guitar out. Everything's fine. Cool. Great. It's the winter, which is important because the because <laughs> the instrument goes out of tune. And so we sit down and the piano is in a different tuning because it's been in this warm room. So it's a little bit, I can't remember if it's sharper or flatter, whatever it was. Oh, there it was flatter because when I took my guitar out of this case, it was sharper. So we'd basically gone in. We're all kind of nervous about how this is going to work. Um, engineer goes, okay, you're good. You're rolling, play. And we had a certain amount of time really to, to record. So we recorded all these tunes, thought, hey man, we, we sound great, you know, um, Sound really cool, played all the stuff that we wanted to do. Thought we caught something really good on, on recording. Until the mixes came back for the tunes and I realized that for, I think, four of the tunes that we, re we recorded, I was so heavily out of tune, so badly out of tune. And none of the musicians at the time had, had really realized it and neither had I, which was even worse. And it's really, it was my job to realize it. And so... I had these recordings of, and when I listen to them now, I think, it, I mean, it's even worse now because I know that's something I could have prevented by very simple means, but it's a bit of a shame, I suppose, and that I feel like I sort of wasted my time and, 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 and musicians' time, but I also feel that there was a real opportunity to learn during that time as well. And the learning really was just be prepared. Be prepared to turn up and know what your job is and don't expect other people to tell you what it is that you have to come prepared with. And it seems like... Uh, a really strict, um, what would you say, like a, an answer I suppose to come to for myself because, you know, you've got to give yourself some leeway at being 18 or 19 and, and having that as one of your first experiences working in a studio. But, but really, it's, 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 it's one of these um, trials by fire, I suppose, you know, touch the fire and realize it's hot, which was you've got to, you've got to go in there and know, you know, what it, what it is that you need to do to be prepared. So you, you've got to tune to, say, the, the piano. You've got to tune to, you know, whatever the other instruments are. You've got to be able to have an open dialogue with other musicians there so that they can tell you things about whether it's your playing or your tuning or your sound or whatever, or your response, or, you know, perhaps you're not playing as best as you could be. Try this, try this, whatever. So yeah, it was a real, it was a real sort of honest look at um, working in the studio and just, uh, yeah, learning that way as well. It's a shame. I, it's not a car crash. We never released the recordings really. 
But it's a car crash every time I listen to it because I think, man, that recording could have been really cool if I was in tune. <laughs> so that's as, that's as far as I can really get with, uh, with, with train wrecks. I've actually, uh, just through listening to you talk, I've realized that I've got more concise learning point. And my learning point is simply, uh, don't play a jazz duo gig at 12 in the evening until 3 a.m. Just don't do that because people want to dance, you know? You need some drums. So that's really, that's my serious learning point. Like, don't expect to play a jazz duo gig at 12 at night. Unless you're at, like, the village vanguard or something and it's, it's expected of you. Callum, I remember you telling me about this experience you had when you were in college and it was it it was something to do with your health and it took a huge impact on your playing. I don't know if you would describe that as a train wreck experience, but do you care to uh, share any of that? Yeah, absolutely. There's actually there's 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 a couple. Um I'll actually I'll briefly mention one of the other ones before I get on to one of the main ones. Uh I kind of I think this was through just playing too much, but I um, I got repetitive strain injury. Um this was the train wreck that I was just describing just beforehand, that was um, the year after this one that I'm talking about. So basically got to, um, again, performance exams. And I'd basically just like overplayed um, when I had, I think I was doing a demonstration um, or like a trial kind of exam, I suppose, in front of some of the lecturers. And I just wasn't ready. Um, and this is, I suppose this would, this would make quite a good learning, uh, learning point as well, that I was so tense with my left hand when I was playing in front of them, um, that it just made the muscles feel like they were working tenfold. And I woke up the next day and this was just stuck. Like I couldn't, I could barely move anything. It was, it felt all swollen. It was just super, super locked up. Um, and that was, that was like a couple of days before... No, maybe a week before, um, everything was due to be performed. Um, so I was out. I was out for like two months. Um, and I didn't want to go down the route of like get all this like deep heat and antifreeze and like take paracetamol and like do things like that. Because um, I just wanted to get back to playing. I was just obsessed and I just wanted to get back uh, to the point where I was like to some of the friends, some of my friends in college don't let me get a guitar from reception. <laughs> Just like stop me if I try and get a guitar from reception. Um, but I found actually through that, that I found out about like kind of like doing like self-massage and like myofascial release and things like that. And I managed to do a little bit of that. And I think in about three days after that, after like about a month and a half, I seen a drastic difference in how I could move my fingers. And um, I started to loosely or um like just start playing little bits um and that that just really helped because i was just like i need to get back quicker i can't wait this long um so that was that one um and i ended up playing keyboard with one hand um and to support other people playing their exams and that was like how i got graded <laughs> so that was like i still got to do something and i think that's another thing it's like one hand's out i've still got another hand i can still do something else so let me go and do something else um but the other one was this was while i was working at a bar um called tiles um in the middle of uh edinburgh so i was also doing a little bit of an internship at post electric studios um, which is based down here in leith um, and that's ran by idlewild rod jones um so when that was kind of just getting um 
like kind of moved into or um i think it was there was like a changeover uh, like a change of change of hands in terms of how the studio was being run um i helped basically take out um this massive um 90 what was it 96 uh custom built like ssl desk it was it was monstrous it was just massive but it had a ridiculous amount of um not uh what are they called i think they're called like d sub cables or something like that just for transferring lots of information quite quickly audio wise um and i spent like a few days doing that and it was very much this kind of like pull-in kind of sensation because the wires were massive some of the wires extended to like like the, the length of the entire building coiled up um and that was my job to try and get them all um ready to try and like sell basically just because they were um they were selling stuff i think um but i've just over the second over the two days my hamstrings like again locked up massively um and i woke up for a shift at the bar just like legs just weren't working at all um completely locked up and i was in agony um i couldn't sit so if i was to do this for like about 20 seconds I'd just be in agony because the, the hamstrings were so incredibly tight. Um, so I got signed off work. Um, I think after just a couple of weeks, I was I was playing in uh, an indie ska band called The Begbies at the time. And I had to make a gig. It was a big gig. And I had to just, I had to just make it. Um, and, a, and a lot of pain. It was, it was not fun. To the point where there's a kind of staircase that um, just works up to my flat when I get in the door. I had to use my arms to pull myself up. <laughs> <laughs> it was that oh, bad. Man. I just I didn't want to I didn't want to lift my leg to like a right angle. I didn't want to do that to any degree because they were just so bad. Um so that that was a tough time. Um I won't go on I won't go on too long. There's one story I extra story if there's more time, but um yeah, that was that was a difficult one because that impacted a lot of music but also just a lot of work to facilitate more work and more music work and things like that. Um but yeah, train wreck. <laughs> oh man. That's that's awful. I am um... I mean, we've spoken several times, but I'm I'm sorry that you've had to go through that. That is just rubbish. I've been fortunate enough that I've not really had any serious injuries that have stopped me playing guitar. Um, yeah, just sleep paralysis that scarred me for life <laughs> from playing jazz duo gigs. <laughs> uh, cool, nice one. Well, old Took on Instagram, thank you so much for sending your question. That was uh. I mean, that was a good laugh for me, kind of laughing about my silly experiences. Um, but I hope you all learned something from our mistakes or bad times that we've had. And yeah, just to kind of cap it off, I just want to remind everybody that follow us on Instagram, follow us on YouTube, we're on Spotify and Apple iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, so you can listen to us everywhere. But also, if you want to support what we're doing in any way, uh, Callum, show them the mug. You got the mug handy. Yeah, so you can get a guitar fuel sitting in mug. Sorry, I was yep. on, I was on mute there, but yeah, sorry, we've got the guitar fuel side, and then sitting inside. There we go, beautiful. And if you want one of our uh, uniform jumpers, <laughs> you can obviously get one of them as well via the link in the description to our merch store. Or if you can't see that, it's uh, teespring.com, and that will be sitting in podcast. Um, but yeah. Hope you enjoyed that episode. We will see you next week for the next one. Bye.